Open your Bibles up to uh, Colossians. We have been going through the book of Colossians, and of course we've had uh, Christmas and some special services for Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We've had a new year, and you know those those dates are very important, and we and we kind of you know went to some other places in the Bible, but. I've been trying to get through Colossians, and it's a very special book of the Bible for me, but I'm only going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to be in other places of the Bible. Um, I thought once I got to chapter 4, we were just going to fly right through that because, you know, you get to the end of an epistle, and it's a lot of stuff that, you know, you might look right over, but as I've been reading and studying, it's amazing where it will take you in other parts of the Bible. You heard uh, Joy talking about how excited she is about being in the Old Testament, and sometimes we will neglect certain parts of the Bible, and the Old Testament is important. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be in our Bibles. So we need to understand that all of the Word of God is important, but we need to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Now, you, you'll hear people say, well, the Bible teaches it, therefore we do it. The Bible teaches it, so therefore we do it. Well, the Bible teaches that uh, in the Old Testament, people would take little lambs and take them to the temple. Well... If we say the Bible teaches it, we got to do it. Well, that would be totally false for today. So we need to rightly divide the word of truth. And sometimes we get into certain parts of it that we don't really know, and we want to argue over it. So it's important, so important, to read the word of God. Extremely important to get into the word of God for yourself. Uh, oh, something I meant to bring up earlier. Um, y'all know that, most of y'all know that I did jail ministry for many, many years, starting in 2009, and it went for 11 years solid until COVID hit, and then COVID wiped it out. Uh, have a good friend right across the river, the Barretts. They, uh, she, Mrs. Barrett, she did women's Bible study over there for all those years, and so we had something in common there. Uh, my buddy Cameron, who lives up in Radford, he had a Bible study, and uh, for the past, I guess it's been three years now, we haven't been able to go, and we get word that they're going to start it back up, and then it just falls apart. Staffing, all kinds of different excuses, and it's really kind of made me kind of mad that they would not put more effort into getting a program like that back up and running. So finally got a call this past week that in a couple, it, like not this coming week, but the week after, we're starting back up again. And my friend Cameron is very excited about it, and we'll be teaming up like we were before. So I won't have to uh, worry about being there every single week. 
he'll, he'll be able to take as many weeks as possible. Same thing with me if he needs to be out. And it worked really good those last few years. So that has finally come around. Finally going to be able to get back over here at uh, Western Virginia Regional. And they haven't had programs, whether it be Bible teaching, parent classes, just all these different things that they offer. But the Bible teaching was so important in church services over there for the inmates. So we fi I finally get to go back there. And I'm kind of excited about that. So helping, and, and the reason that it came to my mind was all the different people that I come in contact there, that I have come in contact there, that come from different backgrounds. So we got so many people who have different backgrounds and what types of churches they may, may have gone to and certain doctrines that they favor over others. But then there's people who, who just don't go to church at all that they get in jail and they finally say, you know what, I need to change my life. They, they wait until they get locked up and then they say, maybe I should change. And they, they start seeing these different options and they see, oh, a church service or a Bible study, maybe I should try that. Now, there's people out here in, in, in the world that they might have that same kind of thought. Well let's just go over to the church or go to that church and maybe it'll fix some things in my life. But something's got to happen. If we always are doing things out of what we think in our human fleshly minds, we might live a little better life, but what does it get us for eternity? And we all work together as a church, to try to reach people, to try to help people understand that there is a way that could make your life wonderful, not just here on this earth, but for eternity. Life on this earth is so short. When you're a young person, you think it's going to take forever to get to the point where you can get your driver's license, and uh, once you get past all of that, it just flies. And when you get to a certain age, you turn and look back, it's like, wow, I cannot believe how long, how, you know, it's been a lot of time, but it has just blown by. Life on this earth is extremely short compared to eternity. Now, the Word of God, you got to know it. You got to get into it and read it and start to love it. And it will, it will enlighten you. It will enlighten your souls. And then there's people praying for you that the Holy Spirit will come and convict your souls. And then when those two things happen, then you make a decision that you, you have faith in the Son of God who has taken your place on a cross and has taken all your sins away and there's nothing that is on you that would keep you out of heaven because he's taken it all away. But you're not going to be forced to make that decision. It's there for you. You, as a person, have to accept it or let it go. And many people just let it go. All right, Colossians. Uh, 
we got to chapter 4, and I'm just going to read a few verses here. It says, <clears throat> now leading up to chapter 4, you have these things like uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord, and then husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And then over in Ephesians, it says, you know, it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And then children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, and they be discouraged. Uh, servants, obey in all things uh, according to your master, according to the flesh. So we can use, we can say employees, you know, be good when you're at work doing jobs for the people who uh, offer uh, you employment. Uh, we, can, we can put that with that. And then it says um, over in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now, <clears throat> this, what this makes me think of is most of you probably are familiar with the Duck Dynasty show. It was a very popular uh, television show, so-called reality TV show, Duck Dynasty. And I listen to their podcast, the guys who uh, do the podcast, the Unashamed podcast. And I liked the show when it was on TV. But what I have found out is by listening to the podcast, there have been all kinds of guests that have come on that podcast that worked for Duck Commander. They worked for the business. So the Robertsons make their place of employment to where when people come there, they know it's different. They treat their employees different. They invite the employees to come to church. It's... They help them with things and give them guidance and things. And the people have come on the show that have been changed tremendously. And some of these people that came to work for them, they didn't know how bad they were. And then they, they, they get saved and they come on the show and then they start talking about their past life and feel sitting there going like, how in the world did we hire that person? You know, our screening process is pretty bad. But at least they didn't kill us, and now they're saved, and they're working for the Lord. I mean, people who had, had really bad backgrounds. So that made me think of that, how they are, th their business uh, required them to travel all over the country and to go to Walmarts and different sporting goods stores, and every time they went somewhere, they always talked about Jesus. Everywhere they went. They would be uh, set up for a speaking engagement, and people would say, well, you know, there's a lot of different people here, and if you talk about Jesus, it might offend them, so you probably don't want to do that. And everybody's like, okay, okay, and they get up there and talk about Jesus. Like, you know, if you don't want me to come, tell me don't come. But don't you ever tell me not to talk about Jesus. Now I'm even way more willing to talk about Jesus because you told me not to. All right, verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Watch 
and pray. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he ask the disciples to do? He asked them to watch and pray. And they were really good at it, weren't they? No. They fell asleep right away. And Jesus went up by himself, and he prayed, and we know what was about to happen. And he was actually praying to the Father, saying, if this cup can pass from me, he knew that he was going to be totally abandoned by God the Father and be totally vulnerable to this evil world and the people who were trying to get rid of him. You've got to remember, Jesus was perfect, sinless, had done nothing wrong, but yet he willingly gave himself and all the sins of those people that were trying to do him harm, all of those sins he was willing to take. And then he looked into the future and saw each and every one of you and me, and he took those sins and allowed all of our sins to be placed on him who knew no sin. And knowing that God had to judge the sins of the world, allowed himself, Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and to be picked up for everybody to look on in that shame of that. And he had asked the disciples, watch and pray, and they fell asleep. They fell asleep. And we're not much better. We're not much better. Jesus is asking each and every one of you to watch and pray. And most of us, we want to do everything else other than pray. Are we too busy? We, we, that's one of the first things that people, you know, Lois asked me this morning, how's things going, what you been up to? Uh, well, oh, it's been so busy. That's what I'll say almost all the time. Uh, everything, oh, it's just so busy. You know, and why are we so busy? What, well, let's look at what it says after this. With the same, uh, the same with Thanksgiving, verse 3, withal, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. You know, Betty, she, she is out there walking around, and we need to be praying for her because she is wanting the same thing, that God would open unto her a door so that she can utter some wonderful gospel good news, right? To speak the mystery of Christ, everybody loves a good mystery, that mystery that was hid from the ages, for which I am also in bonds. Paul is writing this, and he's locked up. He's in prison because of this. For that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. <coughs> Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. That means those that are on the outside. We, 
if you are a born-again believer and, and you're a part of this church, you have come into the house of God and your fellow believers, and we are concerned with those on the outside who don't know Him. That's the main purpose of why we come here and meet on Sunday mornings, why we come here on Wednesday evenings, why we offer the things we do, Kingdom Kids on Wednesday night, and the ministry of children is extremely important. I see the light. <clears throat> do you see the light? I see the light. <clears throat> The ministry toward the children is extremely important. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Time. Are you really busy? Have you taken on way too much that you shouldn't be taken on? You know, uh, We have a certain amount of time every day, right? A, a certain amount of time. <clears throat> if somebody was to give you $1,440 and you have to spend it every day, and if you don't get around to spending it all, you lose what you didn't spend. And think, what would you spend it on? Are you thinking about all the things you want? Or did you immediately start thinking about other people who need things that you could help? 1,440. Why, why, why pick that number? Because we got 1,440 minutes in every day. And you're given every one of those minutes. It's yours. Each and every one of you have that many minutes every single day that you can spend any way you want. Are you spending it all that time just in selfishness? Or are you thinking about others and how you can help others with that time? And, and if you don't use all that time wisely, can you save it for tomorrow? No. You've got to use every bit of it every day. Whether you waste time or not, it's going to go by and you've lost it if you didn't use it for really good things. We need to spend, we need to redeem the time. Now, I'm going to turn to uh, Revelation. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but <clears throat> Revelation 22, that is the last book in the Bible, and that's the last chapter in the Bible. And I'm just going to read a couple verses. Because I just talked about those who are without, those who are on the outside. Now, in verse 14 of chapter 22, it says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without, outside, the people who can't get into the gates of the city of heaven are dogs and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and, whatso and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. 
I, Jesus, this is Jesus talking here in Revelation. It's red letters in my Bible. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is athirst, come. And whosoever will, whosoever will. It's up to you. you. You've all been given a free will by God. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You don't want to be on the outside. You want to be part of the body of Christ. Now, over in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we have that famous uh, portion of Scripture... And it's the first eight verses of chapter 3. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the very first part of it. And it'll sound very familiar to you. It says, uh, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant. Then there's a time for harvest. You've heard all that, right? You've heard all that. Somebody should write a song about it, too. That would be a good song. Time, time, time. We need to redeem the time. And what has happened is the, the devil has come in, Satan has come in, and he has done everything he can do to take people and get them away from believers. Uh, to get one person out of the flock and to get them pushed over to the side to where he can work on them. You have, you have strength in numbers. When we come together as believers, we strengthen each other and we look out for each other. We're praying for each other. We're, we are reminding each other that there is uh, all kinds of armor available to us. You know, the, all these things that protect us in our Christian walk. We come here to be reminded of that. And sometimes we need help. We need to say, hey, come on. Uh, we need to go over here to the armory and, and take them over there and get that helmet of salvation. And, and this one's, all right, here's one that fits you. And here's your shield. Here's your sword. Here's your shoes. And we, and we, we make sure that we all understand the, the, the things that are available to us as Christians. And we need each other. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Now there is a story in the Old Testament. Finally getting there. Okay, I, I'm going to be in uh, 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, if you don't know where it is, it's right after 1 Kings. I hope that helps. 2 Kings, chapter 2. We're talking about Elijah, that great prophet Elijah, and we're talking about Elisha. Y'all get that? Elijah, and then there's Elisha. Elisha is a young man, and he is minding his own business. He's actually behind a plow, and he's got oxen, and he's working the ground. He's being productive, 
And Elijah comes along and calls for him, and Elisha drops everything. I think he even burned his plow. And he offered his oxen that pulled the plow on the altar and burned them up for, for a sacrifice to God. You know, we were talking in Sunday school about the disciples and how Jesus came along and said, come follow me, and they dropped their nets. They jumped off the boats, and they just went and followed Jesus. Just like that. Well, Elisha was that kind of person. Now, if you know about Elijah, and he did some amazing things. Elijah was up against King Ahab and Jezebel, and Jezebel was a scary, scary woman. I got some things I could say that would be funny, but I would be in trouble, and I'm not going to say them. But Jezebel was a scary woman. And Elijah actually was kind of scared of her there for a while. And I can say, oh, come on, Elijah. Why would you be scared of a woman? You know, but I wasn't there. I didn't meet her. But she was a rough, rough woman. She, she, when, when her husband was crying over not getting a vineyard that he wanted, she went out and falsely accused the guy who owned it and had him stoned to death. And then she came back home and said, all right, get off your bed and quit crying, it's yours. I mean, she just took people out. Now, Elijah, he was the one that went up on Mount Carmel, correct me if I'm wrong, please correct me if I say something that's, that's off, because uh, some of this is just from memory. And my memory's not as good as it used to be. So Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, that's where he... They, they, he, he uh, wanted a contest with the, all the prophets of Baal, and there was hundreds of them, and only one of him, and they made the altars, they built the altars, and then in the, in the heat of the day, he let the, the worshipers of Baal call on their gods, or little g-gods, to ignite their offering, and, to, and for it to be on fire. And then as the day started to go away, and the night started to fall, Elijah poured water all over his altar, wooden, wooden altar, and then he called down. He prayed to God, and God sent the fire down and just burned everything up. And he proved that God was still alive. And then he had all the prophets of Baal killed, and Jezebel was not happy about it. And then she was after him, and then he ran off like he was scared. And he thought he was the only one left. And God said, nah, I've, I've preserved like 7,000. You're not alone. Sometimes we feel like we're very alone. Now, Elijah had another servant of his before Elisha came along. And that servant, I don't even know, if, I can't remember his name if he even had one, but he was the one where after all that happened with all that on the mountain, uh, because Elijah had already said, no more rain. There's going to be drought and famine in the land, and it had been like three and a half years. And it was really, really bad. And when all that happened, then Elijah said, I hear rain. I, I mean, so he had that servant, he said, go run up on a mountain and look for clouds, and I'm going to pray. So basically he said, go watch. You go watch, and I'll stay here and pray. And the guy ran off. And come running back, no, no clouds. And, and Elijah's still praying for rain, praying. How many times did they do that? Was it six times? Well, yeah, they did it six times. And most people would give up after six. That number six is the number of human, of, the, of us, man, number of man. 
So after the sixth time, that servant was probably like, I don't want to do this anymore. Look, give up. God's not listening to you. How many of us are on that sixth time and we've given up? But Elijah said, go, one more time. And he ran and looked out and saw this little tiny cloud that looked like the size of a man's hand way out in the distance. And then he sent word for the, for the king to come and get on his chariot and come up there. And then they ended up, the chariot took off and went for miles and miles, and Elijah ran in front of it. He ran in front of it all the way back to wherever they were going. And the rain, it just rained and rained and rained and rained. Elisha was different. He wasn't like that servant who we don't even know where he went. We, he just, he's lost. That servant who went and, and, and looked. Why wasn't he the one that followed Elijah? But it was Elisha who dropped everything. His way of life, he just dropped it all and turned to follow Elijah. Now, Elijah is a type, one, of the, one of the best and many, there's many types and pictures of Jesus that you see in the Old Testament. Elijah is. You know, there, several months ago, I read a list of things that this person did, and when I got done with the list, everybody in here would, would, was like, well, that's, that's Jesus. No, it was Elijah. All the things that Elijah did, and they match up really well with the things that Jesus did. So when you're reading the story of Elijah and Elisha in, this, in, in uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, um, I hope, I hope y'all are enjoying this. This is cool stuff. This is really cool stuff. So I hope you're excited about, about these stories, especially this one. It says, it, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now if you just read, you just keep reading, And Elisha said, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here. Well, that means just hang out here. And, he's, and he even says, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So you're thinking Elisha should, should listen to what Elijah is saying. You stay here. I've been called to Bethel, so you stay here at Gilgal. And Elisha says, nope. Basically, he says, are you staying here? If you're staying here, I'll stay here. But if you're going to Bethel, I'm going to Bethel with you. Now, what's significant about Gilgal? It doesn't say anything about it right here. And you just read right on by. There's four places that they go to. This is a little journey, and there's four places, and all these places are very significant. And you can read this and miss all of it if you just read it and don't go back and study about what is Gilgal, what is Bethel, what is significant about these places? And then after he, they go to uh, Bethel, he says, hang out here, you tarry here, and I'm going to go to Jericho. And Elisha said, well, if you're going to Jer Jericho, that means I'm going to Jericho. And he went with them. And then they get to Jericho, and Elijah said, you hang out here. And, and when they get to, I think it's Bethel and Jericho, these prophets of the city come running out to Elisha and say, don't you know that you're, 
your master, Elijah, is going to be taken out of here today? And he said, yeah, yeah, I know. Quit talking about it. I don't even want to talk about this. This is very disturbing to me. And so they get to Jericho, and he says, now i got to go to Jordan. You stay here at Jericho. And Elijah's like, no, I'm not staying here. Because if you're going to Jordan, I'm going to Jordan. Now, Gilgal was that place when the nation of Israel finally were led by Joshua through the Jordan River, and they get to the other side, and they set up camp. Now, do you know what some of the things they did when they were there, when they went through that Jordan? Remember that them taking rocks from the other side of the Jordan, and when they went into the Jordan, they took these rocks. I think it was just like 12, maybe it was 12 members of each, one member of each tribe, and they took the rocks and they put them in the river, but then they were instructed to take rocks that were in the river and put them up on the other shore, the one they're going to, and that they were to be there for a memorial. Now, we need to remember Gilgal as the place of remembering what the Lord God in heaven made available to us. And the rocks that came from the one side and went down into the river, that's us being buried with Jesus into death, being in the Jordan. That, means, that was the river of death. If you went into it, you died. But they parted the water... They took rocks down in the middle, and then they took rocks that were in there and put them up on the other side. That's you being raised to walk in newness of life on the other side in the promised land. Something else happened in Gilgal. All those people, all those young men who had been waiting for all the older men to die off so that they can finally enter to the promised land, none of them had been circumcised. Well, there was a big circumcision party on that other side. The removing of flesh. Think about Gilgal as the place where the flesh was crucified. Remember, if you do things under your own strength and with human understanding, you'll fail in your Christian walk. You've got to do away with this flesh. It has to be, remember in Deuteronomy, uh, the circumcision of the heart. Remember when we were in Colossians over in, in, in chapter 2, if your Bible's open, you got chapter 4, just look right over here on this side, and it says, the circumcision made without hands. That's you understanding that the old man is crucified, done away with, tossed to the side, and now your spiritual man can do something for God. The flesh has got to go. That, that flesh, that, that lust after things, or it gets really angry. You know, if you have any kind of problem, any kind of fleshly problem, it's because you don't understand that the flesh must be crucified. Get rid of it. Toss it aside. Do not go to God and ask Him to fix your flesh. He's not in the business of fixing flesh. He's in the business of crucifying it. Done away with. Now live by the Spirit. That's Gilgal. Now what does uh, Bethel represent? Bethel means the house of God. And we come together as believers in the house of God. We, we can say this is Bethel. This right here. This is the house of God. And we come in here together because we want to worship the Lord. 
But you know what happened in, in Bethel? There was an evil king that brought down idol worship to Bethel and corrupted the house of God. Guess what has happened in churches all across America? You know, we have uh, what we call theological seminaries that have become theological cemeteries designed by Satan himself. We've got preachers all across America that are preaching fleshly, carnal things. Just motivational speakers, and they're basically life coaches. And they're leaving out the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to keep your eye... You have to watch and pray. And what are you watching? I'm going to try to stay with my list right here. And we're going to get to the end of, of my point of that. Just, just hang in there, please. This should be a place, this house of God, Bethel should be a place where Jacob was introduced to God and he wrestled with God. Bethel was a place where I believe he was at when he saw that ladder. And he said, he's the one that said, Jacob said, this is, this is the house of God and the gate of heaven. This is where we get to heaven because he saw the ladder and angels ascending and descending. <clears throat> now, what was Jericho? When they went through, that was the very first battle that they came up against. Jericho, this big, huge, walled city, and Joshua was thinking, how in the world are we going to take out Jericho? It's a double-walled city. Walls as high as heaven. I mean, there's giants in the land. There's all these things they were up against. And he's out there by himself praying, and this person's out there with armor, has a sword, and he's like, are you with us or are you with them? And, and he introduces himself. It was actually Jesus in angel form. And Joshua falls down, which he should have. And he took instruction from this angel of the Lord, and he told him how they were going to defeat Jericho. Now, does anybody remember how Jericho was defeated? They walked around the city, and they did it once a day for six days. And that did it, right? That did it. Walked around the city once every day for six days. No? On the seventh day... They walked around the city seven times with the seven priests, with the seven trumpets, and the walls came falling down. Remember Naaman was told Naaman had leprosy. He was a Syrian, and the little servant girl that was an Israeli, she went over there, she was Hebrew, and she said, if only you can go back and see Elisha, which is a little bit past what we're doing right here. You've got to get over chapter 5. We're only in chapter 2. But if you want to read that story, it's my, one of my favorite in the whole Bible. Uh, he was instructed by Elisha, go dip in the river, the Jordan River, six times? Six times? Seven times! Now, if he only did it six, it did him no good. But he dipped the seventh time, and he walked up, and his skin was perfect. Something, something about seven. Something about that number seven. So, Jericho, they got great victory there because they obeyed something that made no sense to any logical thinking person. 
walk around the city and the walls are just going to fall down? Yeah, right. But they were obedient to that. Now, the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. It's foolishness to those who don't believe. Because you're, you're thinking about it with your human mind, but we got to get past that and get to the seventh time where it's spiritual, not... <clears throat> I was going to go to Romans 7. If you don't understand it, you'll be a Romans 7 Christian, fighting the flesh every single day. You've got to get past Romans 7. Romans 6 is being buried in the Jordan and rose again. 7 is you struggling as a Christian because you have not accepted what has happened in 6. You've got to get to chapter 8 of Romans. And that's for you to do for homework. Read 6, 7, and 8 and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Now, so after Jericho, Elijah said, I'm going to Jordan. And Elisha goes with him there. And what happens at Jordan? Elijah takes that, his mantle, that was that, was that uh, cloth that he had over him, and he took it off and he hit the Jordan, hit the waters, and the waters parted just like it did before with Joshua. And him, Elijah, and Elisha walked through to the other side. And Elijah, that's where Elijah said, before I get taken out of here, what can I do for you? And Elisha, can you think of all the things that a person could ask for? If somebody came to you, I'll grant you anything you want. What do you want? All kinds of crazy stuff will come to your mind. Oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. Elisha said that he wanted, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And, and, and Elijah said, that's a hard thing. But you know what? If you see me, if you keep your eyes on me, when I'm taken out of here, it'll be granted. But if you have taken your eyes off of me, then it won't. <clears throat> Remember, Elijah is a type and picture of Jesus Christ. Now, do you want to be like Jesus? Jesus said, I'm, I'm ascending to the Father. What can I do for you? What do you want? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want a double portion of the spirit of Elijah? Do you want that? And are you willing to keep your eyes on Jesus? You know, how do you, how do you plow a perfectly straight line back when they used the oxen and, and the plow? You would look way out in the distance and you would see a tree and you would keep your eyes on that tree and you, you, you would have a perfectly straight plow line in your garden. You know, I, I mow, I like to stripe yard, I like to you know, put nice stripes in the yard and, and that's how I do it. At my very first pass, I look out in the distance and I see something, I keep my eye on it. And I, and I, now if I get halfway through it and I'm wondering how good I'm doing and I, and I turn around to look and see how good I'm doing, I guarantee you it's going to mess everything up at that very moment when you take your eyes off of Jesus, you'll do the same thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Later, when you get to heaven, you can look back on what you did and it'll be some straight lines. But don't look now. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> we can have just intellectual Calvary truth about what Jesus did, but that's not good enough. Just to have a knowledge of what Jesus did so many years ago. We have to <clears throat> have some Pentecostal truth as well and allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. We need to understand that keeping our eyes on Jesus, He's going away, but we want to represent Him on this earth and continue what He did when He was here. And you'll never be able to do it without being filled with the Holy Spirit. You need a Calvary truth experience, but then you need a Pentecost truth experience. And that's being filled with the Holy Ghost. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here today, and Father, we have gone through your word. Father, we have seen different places of the Bible where you know, we need to understand that we need to get beyond ourselves and our ideas. Father, we need to be like Elisha and all those things that keep us busy, those things that will keep us from doing the work of the Lord, that we need to burn those things up, get those things out of our lives. Father, if we're too busy to read your word, we are just way too busy with things that are not worth it. Father, if we're too busy to come to the church house on Sunday morning to be with other believers, then our priorities are not right. Father, if we're too busy that we can't share the wonderful news of the gospel to those who need it most, we're just too busy with things that really don't matter. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will go on a pilgrimage, a little trip to Gilgal. And Father, that we don't stay in Gilgal, but we go on to Bethel. And Father, after being in Bethel and doing what we can there, that we would move on to Jericho and have victory, go into our promised land. But Father, never to forget Jordan, where each and every one of us were buried with Jesus into his death. But Father, we didn't stay there. Jesus did not stay dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And Father, because he has been risen to walk in a glorified body, Father, we have been risen with him to carry on what he did on this earth while we are here. And Father, we're workers. We're servants, and Father, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in everything that we do. And Father, we are going to, as workers, you'll bury us, but your work will continue on. But Father, we need to have those who will come behind us, those who will be like Elisha, who will carry on the work of Elijah. We need those who are dedicated to you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.